For those who don't know me, my name is Lucas. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we're continuing in a uh, sermon series going through uh, uh, the fifth chapter of Galatians. We had gone through Galatians, and uh, now we're sort of slowing down to look at um, uh, what life in the Spirit is like. And so last week, Brent started in uh, looking at the fruit uh, uh, of uh, the Spirit is love. And uh, so this week, we're going to be looking at, at joy. Uh, a fruit of the Spirit is joy. And, you know, I've, for some reason, I've given several uh, sermons on joy, and that's, you know, it's a little ironic, because, you know, I would characterize myself by, by many things, uh, but one of those things is, is, is not joy, you know. Uh, when, when people first meet me, you know, I, I try to be joyful in, in, the, in the lobby there, but every time I give away this, this first impression of, of being cold and sort of distant, and uh, so sorry about that, <laughs> uh, but the reason, the reason is not because I'm cold and distant, it's because I'm just generally an anxious person. Uh, I'm, I'm always calculating some sort of problem in my head. Uh, not math, uh, I'm horrible at math, but, but some sort of something. Uh, I'm always calculating something that uh, either I need to do or something that could go wrong or something that might go wrong, uh, something that is you know, missing in the lobby or something like that. I'm always calculating. And, what, and what, does that, what does that stop me from doing? It stops me from having genuine Joy. It stops me from enjoying the small things in life or the big things in life because uh, I'm always worrying about something. I'm always anxious about something. And, uh, you know, just, just to give you a, a, a couple examples here, you know, just a, a couple years ago, uh, the youth group went to uh, Florida, and we usually go to Tennessee, uh, uh, but, but the uh, location in Tennessee, the church camp in Tennessee, is, uh, is just one big uh, college campus. So there's not really uh, any view whatsoever. There's, there's no view. There's nice dorms and a nice cafeteria, but that's about it. Uh, so I decided, to, I decided to take him to Florida, which is a 10-hour drive, not too far. That's incredibly far. And the, the actual location is, is awful. It's just a really bad location. But it's right across the street from uh, this beach, this pristine beach. And I, used to, I lived in Florida for a year, and everywhere you go in Florida, there's white sand, clear waters. It's incredible. And so we stayed there for a week. And uh, to- towards the very end, I decided, I said, you know, i got to take these kids to go crab hunting. This is not a proper Florida vacation if, unless I take them crab hunting. So uh, for those who have not been crab hunting, you have to wait until it's real dark, and then you take your flashlights and your nets, and you catch crabs and hope not to get pinched. So I took, I took 35 kids <laughs> in, the, in the middle of night <laughs> onto, onto this beach. And so my whole anxious self, I'm making sure that everyone is staying in one contained group. And so there's always these, these kids that are walking up front. I'm saying, hey, come on back, come on. You know? And so I'm always making sure. That, and so we walk about half a mile. We catch some crabs. And we're walking on our way back. And the kids up in the front, they go run into the water. And I see something in the water, okay? And I look and I say, what is that? Is that seaweed? Is that, what, you know, what is that? No, that is something living, okay? So I walk up there. And lo and behold, it's not one stingray, but it's multiple stingrays that have come up onto the shore. And I looked that up, and apparently that's something that stingrays do. I, I don't know why, to, to bask in the moonlight, I'm not really sure. But, but they, they come up to the shore, and all of these kids crowd around in, in, in the water. They're not on the shore, they're in the water. And, and, the, and, the, and there's no joy that is in my heart whatsoever. None whatsoever. I'm not like, wow, that is a cool animal. Look at that razor-sharp stinger, you know. No, there's one thing that comes into my mind, and it's a person. Can anybody guess who it is? Steve Irwin, that's right. Steve Irwin comes into my mind, and who's Steve Irwin? The crocodile hunter. So this is a guy that tackles crocodiles, but not anymore. (laughs) And the reason is because he was killed by a stingray. 
he was stabbed through the heart, not once, not twice, but multiple hundreds of times, <laughs> and died. I don't know why I'm laughing at this. It's not funny. But that's the only thing that could come to mind when I have these kids that are crowding around. So literally, I'm just waiting. I'm like, guys, get out of the water. Guys, get out of the water. Guys, get out of the water, you know? <laughs> and, and so finally, we, we, uh, we, we, we leave the stingrays to be. And I remember one of the students says, you know, Lucas, you remind me of my dad a lot. <laughs> and I'm like, well, it's better that you're alive than I be the fun youth pastor, you know? Uh, but this is, this is who I am. I am an anxious person. Um, I'm someone who cannot enjoy the moment. You know, just last week, my wife and I went to Little Rock. She had to go get her uh, wedding ring cleaned at Jared's. And so we said, let's just make a family day out of it. And we get on the road, and lo and behold, you know, the kids are having a great time. They're watching movies in the back. Uh, my wife is talking to me, but lo and behold, the engine light comes on. So guess what I thought about for an hour and a half, you know? <laughs> is the engine going to fail in, in the middle of, of the way to, to Little Rock? You know, am I going to have to call a cab? You know, all of this stuff. This is just who I am. I can't enjoy the moment. Uh, I'm an anxious person. I, I calculate all the things that could go wrong. And my guess is that I'm not alone. My guess is that I have worry warts here in the, in, in, uh, in the audience today. But even if, even if uh, anxiety is not something that you struggle with, maybe you struggle with something else. Maybe it's depression. Uh, maybe it's uh, insecurities. Uh, maybe it's pride. Maybe, maybe it's, uh, you're, you're just generally unsatisfied. In any case, In any case, my guess is that joy is something that eludes you. It is, it is something that you don't have all of the time. And I just want you to look, you know, in, in the past, when was the last time you were joyful? Legitimately rejoicing in life. Uh, my guess is that it's not every day that you wake up joyful. And, you know, it's not immediately obvious as to why that is so. Uh, you know, we, we live in a world where uh, we live longer, our lives are easy, easier, we have more money, we have more things, we have more technology. Uh, we have Google. <laughs> uh, we have more than we have ever had, and yet we aren't any happier. Okay? And the question is, why is that so? Why is that so? And, and even more so, how do we get a joy that lasts? Okay? That's what I want to talk about this morning. A joy that lasts. If a, fruit, if, if, if a fruit of the Holy Spirit is joy, why don't we have it and how do we get it? So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. So I'm going to be looking at uh, three different points this morning. The first is, I, I'm just going to look at the general uh, biblical concept of joy. What is it? Uh, second of all, why is it so elusive? And then uh, third of all, how do we get it? So what is joy? Why is it so elusive? And then how do we get it? All right, so let's first of all look at, uh, look at this word joy. The word joy. Uh, the word joy is, is common all throughout out the Bible. It's mentioned 60 times in the Greek in, in the New Testament. And the, and the Hebrew equivalent is mentioned another 40 times. And uh, it's most prominent in the Gospels. Uh, so in, in the book of John, it's mentioned nine times. Uh, just in the book of Philippians, with four chapters, it's mentioned five times. And, uh, you know, the, the word uh, that, that the New Testament uses for, for, this, uh, for this word joy is kara. Kara. Can everybody say that with me? Kara. Does, does that sound like anything? If, you, if your name is Kara, you know what your name means now. <laughs> uh, it means joy. Kara is, uh, is, is the Greek word. And akara is, is, is the noun form, of, noun form for, the, uh, for the verb rejoice. Uh, so Cairo is, is uh, way more in, in, in the New Testament. So you can think of uh, in, in the beginning of the book of Luke, when the angel uh, greets Mary, he says, Cairo, right? rejoice, you have found favor with God. Or when the angels greet um, uh, the shepherds in, in the fields, they say, rejoice, for you have found favor with God. Okay, so this is, this is uh, this word, kara, kara. 
Now the question is, what does this word mean? Well, very simply, kara or joy refers to an inward uh, gladness, an inward fulfillment. Um, and, you know, I use that word inward very purposefully. Uh, it is an inward feeling of fulfillment, okay? And uh, it, it, it has to be contrasted with uh, outward uh, uh, blessedness. Uh, there, there's a, uh, there's a, a word that Christ uses all the time in his uh, Sermon on the Mount. It's the word makarios. Does anybody say that with me? <laughs> makarios. It's uh, an interesting word. And uh, this word uh, is often translated as happy. Um, more often than not, it's, it's uh, translated as blessed. So think of, uh, uh, of um, the teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. You are blessed if you're poor in spirit. You are Blessed if you weep and, and mourn and cry. You're blessed when you're persecuted. Okay? Now, what, what is Christ trying to, uh, uh, to get us to understand uh, through this teaching? What he wants us to understand is that despite how you feel, right, on the, on, on the inside, it doesn't feel good to be persecuted. Right? Uh, it doesn't feel good to be poor. It doesn't feel good to mourn and weep and cry. But he says, despite all of that, you are in a blessed place. Okay? And, and just to, to illustrate this here, I, I, I run a lot. I run like three, four times a week. But if, if you were to ask me, Lucas, why do you like running? I would say, that's, that's a bad question. Because I don't like running. <laughs> you know? Uh, I, 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 you know I, I start on the first half of the mile, and I'm, and I'm wheezing, and I'm huffing, and I'm puffing, and I'm sweating. And it's just, just it's awful. It's gross. I don't like doing it, okay? But I know, I know that I'm Makarios if I do that, Okay? It doesn't feel good, but I know that I'm blessed if I do it, okay? And why? Because it works out my heart, it works out my, my leg muscles, it helps me to breathe easier, it, it deals with stress, it clears my mind. I am blessed if I do that, right? So Makarios refers to this outward state of blessedness. You are blessed if you're, pure, if you're persecuted, even if you don't like it, okay? That's, that's what Makarios means, and that uh, can be translated as happy. Joy is something different. Joy is not, uh, it doesn't refer to outward blessing, it refers to an inward state of the heart. Joy, uh, the, 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 the biblical definition of joy is that inward secret feeling of fulfillment, of inward contentment. And, you know, outside circumstances uh, could contribute to that. You know, so when I married my wife, I was joyful. I rejoiced, I was happy, okay? Uh, when my children were born, my heart was full, Okay? Uh, but you can be joyful even in the midst of hard circumstances. You can have an inward contentment even when things are bad. And, and in fact, this is the word, uh, this, this is the context that this word is used in most often in the New Testament. So for instance, Paul says in, in Romans 5, he says, we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings. 1 Peter 4, he says that when testing and trials come upon you, don't be surprised, but rejoice. Uh, or Acts 16, when Paul and Silas are in jail, it's a very famous passage. What did they do when they were in jail? They sang and rejoiced. Okay? And you say, why, did, why are you doing that, Paul? Because joy is an inward uh, contentment. It's an inward fulfillment. Or think about in the book of Philippians, when, when Paul is writing the Philippians to be joyful, where is he? He's in jail. Okay? So this word caro refers to an inward experience of contentment. And very often than not, you can feel fulfilled, you can feel content, even in the midst of great pain. This is the story of the early church. While they were being killed, they were joyful. While they were being persecuted, they were joyful. It's, it's 
it is possible to be joyful even in the midst of hard circumstances. And, you know, I, I can only think of a, a, no better illustration. You know, my wife's about to give birth. Tomorrow we're actually scheduled to do it. And every time my wife gives birth, she is in what? She's in great pain. And I don't know what to do. I'm just standing by her side, you know. <laughs> the first time we, we had our first baby, the doctor was like, Lucas, you look white. You're about to faint, you know. <laughs> and, and so by all outward appearances, everything is going wrong. And yet, even in the midst of it, we're joyful. Now, why? Because we know that a child is about to be born. We know that even in the midst of great pain, life can come. And so that's, that's what joy is. Joy is that secret, inward feeling of contentment and fulfillment. Now, let's uh, go ahead and move on to the, uh, the second point here. Why is joy so elusive? Why is joy so elusive? If there is any word that describes the human search... It is the search for fulfillment. We want fulfillment in life, and we can't find it. We are unfulfilled. We are discontented. We have an inner feeling of anxiety. Okay? And uh, you know, even more than that, it, you know, as I said before, there's not really any reason for it. We are more depressed than we have ever been. Okay? And yet our world is more advanced than it has ever been. We make more money. We live longer. You know, all, all this sort of thing. I mean, just look at technology. My wife and I just got brand new phones. We, uh, we got the iPhone 8s. And I was just, like, amazed at the technology that they are put, able to put in this little, this little uh, you know, screen. I mean, how, how do they do it? You know, and uh, I was talking to the, uh, the Verizon store salesman. He was a very good salesman. <laughs> he kept on upping the charges there. But, but he, said, he, said, uh, he said, you know, you should get the unlimited LTE. And I said, what is that? You know, <laughs> unlimited LTE. He says, listen, I don't even have to have internet. I have all of my devices on unlimited LTE no matter where I go. I can, I can watch Netflix no matter where I go. I said, wow, that sounds pretty good. How much does it cost? Oh, just $20 more a month. I said, well, sign me up then, you know. And so we signed up, and, uh, and lo and behold, I'm on LTE everywhere I go, and I can do anything I want on it, you know. And does it bring me any more joy? Well, uh, here's a good illustration of the answer is no, okay? So last week, if you were in the second service and you saw some dude carrying out a screaming toddler, okay? That was me. <laughs> and why was I screaming out a toddler? Because first of all, she didn't want to go into her Sunday school class. So I said, okay, you can sit next to me if you're quiet. Just be quiet. And of course, that's impossible. So she starts saying how she's hungry. And I said, hey, I have an idea. Anya, I have unlimited LTE. Do you want to watch a Netflix show? <laughs> okay. So I turn on the Netflix show while Brent is preaching. And I turn, I turn the volume all the way down. <laughs> and I say, Anya, this will keep you for hours. You can listen to all, all of Brent's sermons if you want to. But it didn't work. Two minutes later, I had to drag my daughter out screaming. Okay. Well, what's the point? There is nothing in this world that can satisfy us. And why? And why? And why? Our outer lives can change. We can rearrange the scenery all we want. But that inner contentment, right, that inner secret fulfillment does not come from rearranging the outside. Right? Joy can be, uh, uh, you know, joy can be, uh, you can have more joy by, by rearranging the scenery. But rearranging the scenery in itself does not give any joy. Okay? And I just want you to think about this. When you are inwardly depressed, 
You know, we, we have this, this, uh, uh, this delusion in our minds that if I'm depressed, all I need to do is change something in my life. Okay? Well, I, I have struggled you know, notoriously with depression for all of my life. I go through bouts of just down, just feeling very down about myself. And what I've discovered is that when I'm in that state, okay, changing the outward scenery does not help my inward depression. In fact, what happens? The, out, the, the opposite happens. Very often, your depression colors every single thing you experience on the outside. And you know I'm right. You know, think about Eeyore, you know. Think about Eeyore. There was a new Pooh movie that came out. Of course, my daughter had to have it. And one of the, one of the, one of the uh, subplots is around Eeyore, who, lo- who he lost his tail. Poor Eeyore, you know. And, and, and what happens? Well, Eeyore gets, all of his friends rally around Eeyore and try to find him a new tail, okay? Now, if I had lost something in my life and 10 of my best friends rallied around me to go find it, okay, I'd be like, man, I have awesome friends, but not Eeyore, okay? What did Eeyore do? He says, oh, I'm never going to find a tail, you know? That's just, that's just his whole life. And then finally, when they do find his tail, he's like, oh, I guess it'll do, you know? This is Eeyore. And this is our problem. When we're depressed, when we are down, when we're melancholy, what does it do? It colors everything else that we experience. Someone, someone could, could compliment you and, you and you could say, man, that, that guy's a jerk, you know? But that's the way it works. You see, you see through your depression, you see the entire world. And, and, and what needs to change? The inside needs to change before the outside. And this is what Jesus himself says. He said this to the uh, the, the Pharisees. He says, don't focus on cleaning the outside, right? Clean the inside first, and then the outside will be clean. Or he says, listen, if you're blind, light isn't going to help you. You need new eyes. You know, when I was going through uh, recovery, you know, I was about six months uh, clean off of of cocaine. I went into the uh, the 12-step program. And the 12-step program is immensely helpful, but one of the mantras that they have, which I, which I find just immensely biblical, is, is this definition of insanity. They say, listen, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Insanity is doing the, the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Now, what, what's, what's the takeaway here? Well, this drug isn't making me happy, okay? So what do I do? <laughs> I increase my dose, or I change my drug, and they say, listen, that is not going to help anything. You can't rearrange the outside. Something on the inside has to change. And this is why the first step in the, in, in the 12-step programs is to realize that you're utterly helpless. You are spiritually devoid. And you need a power outside of you to come inside and to help you. This is the reality of joy. It is so elusive because we try to change the outside. But guess what we are? We're insane. We're insane. A more expensive car is cool, okay? A bigger house, a bigger paycheck, but again, it's not going to do anything. It's not going to help us. It's not going to bring any more joy. It might bring a momentary happiness, but it'll go away. It'll go away. And so what needs to change? Well, the inside needs to change, okay? And, uh, here I want to get to, to our third point, and finally I want to actually get to our passage. But it's not really going to be anything that Brent hasn't already said. Because how do we get joy? Well, I just want you to look here at verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and so on. What is Paul trying to tell us here? Joy is something that is not intrinsic to us. In fact, it is extrinsic to us. It is on the outside, and it must be given. By whom? It has to be given by the Holy Spirit. And, and what's the logical conclusion of this? The flesh, in its, in its natural capacities, in its natural powers, the flesh does not have joy. It doesn't have the capacity for an inward contentment in spite of even outward circumstances. What is natural to the flesh is happiness that is dependent upon external circumstances. When I make more money, then I'm happy. For a little bit. You know, if I get a bigger house, then I'm happier for a little bit until I get used to it. Until I, until I, until I adjust to it. But joy, joy is an attribute that doesn't come from the flesh. It doesn't come from human capacities. It comes from the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And this is what Paul is trying to tell us. Joy has to be infused into us. Joy is something that has to be poured into our hearts. Joy is something that has to be donated supernaturally to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know, the, the Holy Spirit is called many things. You know, Paul calls the Holy Spirit love, which is poured into our hearts in Romans 5. You know, St. Augustine, he once said that the Holy Spirit is the love that eternally exists between the Father and the Son. Well, we can take that, that same analogy. Joy is the Holy Spirit being poured into our hearts. Joy is the Holy Spirit this enjoyment that comes between the Father and the Son from all of eternity. And just to, to bring it down here, what does God do from all of eternity? <laughs> Is God bored from all of eternity? He's like, man, it has been 2,000 years. I gotta, I gotta do something here. Oh, let's create humanity, you know. No, what has God been doing from all of eternity? God has been rejoicing in himself. God has been rejoicing in himself. The, the Father looks at the beauty of the Son and he rejoices. And the Son reciprocates by looking at the Father and he says, joy. And that joy between the two is the power of the Holy Spirit. And why did God create humanity? Well, not because he was discontented or he was bored. God could have gone for all of eternity totally enjoying himself, needing absolutely nothing outside of himself. And yet, what did God do? Why did he create the world? He created the world so that we would have a participation, a share in his own joy. And if you, if you recall, we were told that Adam was formed from the dirt. <laughs> put, put him together with clay. But then what, what did God do? He breathed the Holy Spirit into Adam. He breathed his very own life, a life that was proper to him, that Adam didn't have. And what is that life? That is the life of the triune God. That is the life of the Holy Spirit infused into us. Which means that Adam had qualities that were supernatural to him. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And when Adam turned away from God, what did he do? He rejected the eternal joy that is God for the temporary happiness that is the world. He turned towards things that cannot bring joy. And he turned away from eternal happiness. In all of redemption is nothing more than God trying to give us back his very own joy. And I just want to take one more step and, and then we'll be done here. As I said, one of the, uh, the gospel of John has uh, 
the word joy repeated nine times over. In fact, it's, the, it's one of the major themes uh, within John. Over and over again, one of the things uh, that Jesus says is he says, I have come that you might have joy. Right? Uh, in John 15, Jesus says this, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy, the joy that is proper to me from all of eternity, the joy that doesn't belong to you intrinsically, my joy that I have experienced from all of eternity, face to face with the Father, in the power of the Holy Spirit, that joy, I have come that it may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now what does that mean? Jesus came to donate his very eternal, unending joy to us. Okay? And, and how did he do that? I just want you to think about what, what did Jesus do on the cross? Theologians all throughout history talk about the cross in terms of a great exchange. What did Jesus do? He came and he donated his joy, his joy to, to his very last breath to us. And in exchange for what? For our sorrows. For our depression. For our sadness, right? Isaiah 53 talks about Jesus as the man of sorrows who has borne our sin. Jesus took all of our sorrow into himself. And why? So that after he had risen from the dead, remember he comes to the disciples and he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. He takes our sorrows so that he might give us his joy. Now, <laughs> just as, as we close here, what does that mean practically? Well, practically, here, here's what that means. Uh, joy is, is not... Uh, Totally like happiness. It's very similar to happiness, but happiness weans and wanes according to the ups and downs of life. And that means that joy cannot be found in the things of this world. Uh, instead, joy and fulfillment come through communion with a person. And that person donates his very joy to us. And who is that? Christ. Joy does not come through getting more things. It comes through being face-to-face with Jesus Christ. It comes rather in a life of prayer, a life of communion, a life of dependence. Jesus says in John again, he says, abide in me, and I will abide in you. If you abide in my love, my love and joy and peace and patience will be in you. And what that means is that joy comes not from changing the scenery in our lives. It comes from communion with a person. We have to be in communion with a person. And when we're in communion with that person, he donates to us. His very joy. And what that means is that even in the lowest of lows, you know, even in the midst of clinical depression, you know, Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers, uh, Baptist preachers ever known, he struggled notoriously with depression. And yet he was able to preach eloquent sermons. Right? He was able to find joy in Christ even in the midst of his lowest lows. Why? Because joy is a supernatural quality. Joy is something that is gifted, that is donated, that is given, even in the midst of our lowest lows. Even in the midst when Christ was on the cross, he was able to enjoy God. That's what Christ wants to give us. It is something supernatural, something that, is, that we can't even comprehend, something that we can't even understand. He wants to give that to us through the gift of himself. And that's what he does at the cross. So, let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for the gift of yourself. You are the self-donating God. You're the one who gives to us what you experience through all of, all of eternity. You are the one who donates to us 
what is yours by right? And that is eternal life, joy, peace, patience, love. These are all things that are yours by right, and you give, a, you give it to us, not because of our own merits, but because of your own grace. Father, help us to experience the joy of Christ. Even while we are going through whatever we're going through, Father, help us to know that it is through face-to-face communion that we experience your joy. That we come to know what it is to be finally fulfilled. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.